You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello. I am Matt Williamson. This is the Locked On NFL Podcast. As is the case with the whole Locked On Network, we bring you the biggest news from all the local experts. This is the national show. If you're new to us, welcome. I am at Williamson NFL. Uh, Only four shows last week. I apologize. I was going to do Twitter on Friday, but you can probably hear it in my voice. Getting over a bad cold. I was having a hard time talking. And frankly, there wasn't a whole lot to discuss. So we just did four last week. Excited, though, as could be to kick off this week with someone I've been really anxious to talk to, and it's long overdue to get Locked On Vikings host Luke Braun on the show. Luke, what's up, brother? Hey, man. Yeah, glad to finally be on the on the big-time show. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to have to do it often because I think this is a very exciting team to talk about. Um, I want to go backwards a little bit before we go forwards and kind of examine last year a little bit. You know, they spend huge money on Cousins. And I, I too often bring up the Steelers on the show because I'm tied in with them. But I looked at the Vikings and the Steelers. They both were very, you know, the next the playoff team that didn't go in their respective conference. Big expectations. Fell a little short. But the reality was both those teams, and I want to focus on the Vikes, of course, were only a couple plays away from being a playoff team. Yeah, I, I think that like in 2017, the Vikings overachieved by quite a bit that 13 mm-hmm. and three. I think everybody, even in Minnesota, even all the homers were like, yeah, all right, that was crazy. Uh, and then I think they kind of swung the other way this year. I think they're more of a nine and seven, 10 and six type, you know, uh, like third in the conference, fourth in the conference kind of team compete for the division kind of team. Uh, and, and in the last two years, we've kind of seen how much variance can throw you off of that. I actually liken the Vikings to the Steelers myself too, but I think the Steelers have had pretty epic culture issues. And I think like, if you see those two teams as similar quality units in 2018, you can kind of see the difference that like just juxtaposing those two next to each other, that culture makes. And the Vikings have, I'm, I've been really bullish on the Vikings culture and, and just like, the, the dividends that it pays off, things like Anthony Barr coming back on a cheaper deal than what he would have taken on the Jets and other teams doing or other players doing similar things weirdly often to the Jets. <laughs> yeah, right, right, often to the Jets, right. Yeah. I think that's well said. I think there's a lot to be said for that. I respect this organization more than most. I think Zimmer is a whale of a head coach, and I do think players want to play for him. And this also goes back to the Steelers because months ago – After the season, what I did, and I'm not sure if you caught this, I'm sure you're aware to some degree, though, I count missed field goals as the same as a turnover. And when you look at turnover differential and then you subtract the missed field goals, the Steelers were, like, right at the bottom of the league. They were with teams that were, you know, the the guys picking in the top five, basically, the Niners, teams like that. But when I did that study, and I didn't realize this during the season, the Vikings missed the most field goals in the league. It's hard to win that way. Yeah, we are uh, very aware of our kickers. I'm sure, yeah. Minnesota. <laughs> we, a lot of that came from Daniel Carlson, who blew three field goals in the Week 2 game, that big Lambeau tie, that crazy game. Uh, so a lot of, I think it was like six or seven missed field goals. Three of them came in that one game. And then he got cut, and Dan Bailey came in, and he did his best to fight the curse of kicking in a Vikings jersey. Uh, but he is coming back, and he is, as it 
stands right now has no competition at the kicker position. He will be the kicker for the Vikings. And I think, I mean, he's still, he went from like third overall in field goal percentage to like eighth just in the one season. So I don't know what is going on. Uh, they brought in Nate Kading to try to be a kicking coach, like specifically just like, here's how you deal with missing kicks. And Nate yeah, right. had a bit of a history with like missing a huge kick and having to come back from that. And I believe he did have a reasonable career after the the debacle against the Jets in the in the playoffs. I think it was what 2010. Um, so I, I guess they brought him in to kind of be the 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 kicking coach and the the guy who's been around the block type expert and hopefully get a get a lock on that problem. But kicking has been a problem for the Vikings, I mean, guess for decades, but really severely ever since the Blair Walsh miss a bunch of years ago. To be very honest, I hate it's, it's the biggest topic in town now that Bell and Brown are gone. It, the kicking's terrible. Boswell was the best kicker in the league, or one of them. Now he's terrible, and I hate talking about it. But is it? It is a lot like golfers. And what I keep saying around here, and I absolutely believe will be the case in Minnesota, it almost has to get better. I mean, it's not going to remain the worst kiss kicking situation in football in 2019, and that could have been the difference between the 17 Vikes and the 18 Vikes. Yeah, I, I do think it, it'll get better a little bit. I mean, Dan Bailey, I think, has kind of uh, moved past the the stink of what happened with him in Dallas, and he's moved past like kind of all that turmoil and being away from football for like a whole year, and and now he can just kind of like there's no competition, there's nothing, just kick, just do your thing, and, yeah. and don't have to focus on anything else. Hopefully, it gets better, but I also think that kicking is a lot more random than to give it credit for. I, I, think I do that, too. Like, yeah. Anything inside forty yards is roughly automatic, except for the odd miss here and there. And everything outside of 40 yards, there's very little difference between the good kickers and the bad kickers if you actually look at, like, long-term statistics for people. So I think it's just kind of random, and, and the Vikings happen to be very unlucky in this specific thing. Yeah, I do too. I mean, again, I think a lot of these things will go back to the mean. Um, I think the O-line situation will be better and clearly was... A major problem last year, and it was a weakness start to finish. Of course, adding Bradbury is going to help a lot. But I think you can't overlook, when you talk about the Vikings, you lose, the. Poor, I mean, he, he passes away in camp, the offensive line coach, and not to sound coarse. I mean, obviously that's huge to the organization. It's huge to the, the mindset of the team. He's a friend. He's a human being. He's a, you know, a father, a husband, coach. But the weakest part of the team lost their best coach. You know, like when you just look at the X's and O's of it, that's almost impossible to overcome. Yeah, it absolutely was a factor. And I think if you asked any of those offensive linemen, they all said, oh yeah, it absolutely affected. I mean, I think Riley Reef actually said like, yeah, it affected us. Um, but the, the unit is a lot different going into 2019, not only because of the addition of Garrett Bradbury, mm -hmm. Um, but essentially you lost the two losses on the team were the two worst players on the offensive line, Mike Remmers and, uh, Tom Compton, Pat Elfline struggled as well, but he was actually still coming off of, he suffered a really bad ankle injury in the NFC championship against the Eagles. And he was still coming off of that. And I don't think he was truly healthy from that until like week six, week seven. And so he missed a whole offseason training program and he had strength issues to begin with. And so you kind of hope that that's better. And then I think taking out Tom Compton and Mike Remmers and adding in Josh Klein, who's been a starter in the league for a while, and Garrett Bradbury, first-round pick, I think you have to see 
some sort of improvement, not to mention Brian O'Neill, who had a really promising rookie year. Now he's entering his second year, and hopefully Riley Reef can stay healthy as well, and he gets to stay in the left tackle spot, which wasn't a given going into the draft. They actually maybe yeah, if they had taken point. tackle, they would have moved him into guard. So hopefully all of that turns out to be a better pass protection unit, but I think we're kidding ourselves if we expect them to be average or above it. We just kind of hope that they aren't like the reason the Vikings lose any games. They just have to be good enough to make it so that you can function. And that's been a difficult thing to achieve over the last four years because of, you know, turmoil with the coaching, not to mention, you know, I mean, Sperano passing away is tragic, but even before that, there was Jeff Davidson, who was the coach for like 10 years and he gets fired and we cycle through people. Um, and, and just a lot of turnover in the group, taking Mike Remmers, who was a serviceable right tackle, and moving him into guard was a huge mistake. Um, and they've made other mistakes. Pat Elfline has been really, he's struggled a lot with calling protections. There were a lot of miscommunications, and that usually goes back to the center, not relaying information properly. And that's not what he did at Ohio State. So it's understandable sure. that he would be pretty raw at that. Um, Garrett Bradbury has a little bit more experience at that than Elfline did coming out of college. And now Elfline can go to guard where he can just kind of focus on blocking and hopefully uh, he, he makes fewer mental errors there and hopefully Garrett Bradbury is better. And then there's obviously the addition of Gary Kubiak and his kind of like crew, his little posse that always follows him around. Um, they are kind of like the gods of the zone run which, you know, you can kind of ex expect them to run a, a very clean, polished zone scheme. And it's just a matter of if that still works in today's NFL. I mean, that was a scheme that worked in the 90s with Terrell Davis and back to like Arian Foster, but it's a different league. And, and you know, if, if what good is it to be very good at something if the thing you're very good at isn't something that really scares the defense anymore? So I, I think that's like the biggest kind of with when it comes to the line, one of the biggest question marks is, is running a classic Gary Kubiak zone scheme as good as you'll be at it because it's Gary Kubiak, is that going to actually work? And I think with Dalvin Cook, I, I mean, they, they are as suited for a zone blocking scheme as you could possibly be. Garrett Bradbury is perfect for it. O'Neal is perfect for it. Cook is tailor-made for it. Uh, but how much will that actually help them? Yeah, you said a lot there, and I want to come back after break here real quick and talk about a lot of it because I agree with most of what you had to say. But first, hey guys, let's talk about sex. How about that? Well, let's go right there. Good sex. Remember the days when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com. It's blue like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable and same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis so you know they work. Take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. I think that's pretty important as opposed to taking a pill and calling your wife or whatever and say, hey, let's, let's take care of business an hour from now. It doesn't make sense to me. Now, this is just, you know, this is not just for guys who can't perform. It's for any guy who wants extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package. There's no in-person doctor, in, in doctor visits, no waiting at the pharmacy. Best of all, no awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. So, this is what you do. Go to BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free. Use our special promo code LOCKEDON, all one word. All you pay is 5 bucks shipping. That's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code LOCKEDON. To try it free, Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Now, Luke, I absolutely think 
the addition of Kubiak is a gigantic one. And you touched on some of it. Some of the pieces that were in place, namely O'Neal, highly athletic. Um, now Bradbury are superb fits. Um, the guard position was really poor, especially in protection last year. I think you get a little bit better, just kind of a trickle-down effect. But I really think, considering who Cousins is, and I'm not a big believer, to be honest with you, I just think if you put too much on his shoulders, bad things usually happen, that this has to be a Dalvin Cook-led offense more than anything. And like you said, I think he fits the scheme perfectly. And if, if, if he stays healthy, he might win people fantasy leagues. I mean, he might be that good this year. Yeah, he he will definitely be uh, somebody that you should target in fantasy. Yes. I, I think, so I, I too am not, I've, I've never been that bullish on Cousins from before he was here to now when he is here. Um, and, and I think that a lot of the issues that arise with him are just when, when things break down and having an offensive line that creates a lot of pressure just only exacerbates that. And that's kind of one of the reasons I didn't think it was a good idea to bring him here. Um, but I, I think if you did make the offense run through Dalvin Cook, you shouldn't do it in the run game because it's 2019 and teams just can't function that way anymore. You can't have just like Emmett Smith run over people anymore, or even like Adrian Peterson. I mean, this isn't this isn't 2007 anymore. True. And, and I think that in uh, in 2018, I, I think I could be wrong about this, but I think targets to Dalvin Cook were good for like eight or nine yards every time. And those plays really, really worked out. And instead of, you know, trying to create something out of a, a line made of, I mean, let's call a spade a spade, mediocre to poor to too young to function players. Right. Let me run a swing pass and, and let Dalvin Cook make somebody miss in space where he is way better. And, and not doing that was one of the things that I think got John Filippo fired. I think he, he did not do that nearly enough. Um, I don't think Kevin Stefanski did it enough either in the three games that he coached, though three games is a small sample, so I, all that remains to be seen. Um, but I think, yeah, I think of all the skill players, I want Dalvin Cook to touch the ball the most, and then I want to throw high leverage, you know, big-time play, you know, throw up a ball, throw up a deep ball to Diggs and Thielen, and I think that's how your offense works. Yeah, and, and I'm also quietly excited, uh, I'm extremely bounced off the wall excited about Cook, but I think Madison in the third round could be nice insurance and might be a better player even now than Latavis Murray or somebody like that. I think Madison can be a very quality number two. Yeah, I think if you're uh, listening to this from a fantasy perspective, whatever you thought about Latavius Murray and in terms of like volume and, and production and all that, you can think the exact same thing about Alexander Madison. He's just mm-hmm. going to take over that role one-to-one, and then if he you know can pick up more yards or he can churn out more stuff, then that's excellent. He's um, the he's clear handcuff, don't you think? I mean, if Cook gets exactly. hurt, it'll be Madison, right? A TD vulture for sure. I, I feel no, like you're going to see yeah. him at you know first and goal from the one. Madison's going to come in the game, and then you you'll split Cook out wide or or just take him off the field because that's not really where his skill set is most helpful to you. Yeah, I, I I like the Madison pickup mostly for insurance because I do think Cook will be the bell cow. I think the line will be better. I think Bradbury will go to Pro Bowls sooner than later. I think Diggs and Thielen are the best one-two punch at wide receiver in the league. But I do think Cousins is the 15th, 16th, 17th best quarterback. And I guess my question to you being closer to the team is, if you had to put a chip down for who's the third wide out, who are you betting on? 
This might be the hardest question on the whole roster. I bet, yeah. Because you, so you have Chad Beebe, who uh, Don Beebe's son um, mm-hmm. for the Bills fans out there. He was an undrafted free agent tryout rookie last year. Didn't even get a contract. Had to come to minicamp and earn his way into camp, and then actually makes the team and actually gets a little bit of run later in the season when there's some injuries elsewhere in the, in the unit. Uh, he is currently the front runner in like minicamp. He's been getting a lot of them. Uh, Jordan Taylor who you may remember from the Broncos, was kind of a rotational player there. If you remember a silly anecdote about Peyton Manning in his final season that 2015 year when he was recovering from an injury, he grabbed some random wide receiver off the scout team to play catch with when he was rehabbing. That was Jordan Taylor. Okay. And he actually be the, uh, the, the third wide receiver. I think those are your two front runners. Laquan Treadwell, total first-round bust. He's fallen way out of it, and he's at the point where he might not even make the roster this year. That's what I was about to ask, because he even gar- I mean, he's not going to help on special teams. He's not a returner. If he's not the he's number three, I mean, he has to get his jersey dirty if he's not the number three. Yeah. He, he, he's a good punt gunner, and he would get that mm. run if he did make the team, but it is not. It is far from a guarantee. He now has to contend with the two draft picks, Dylan Mitchell and Olavisi Johnson, and uh, some other, Brandon Zilstra, who made the roster last year. It gets really crowded. I think your front runners are BB and Taylor. If I had to put a chip down, I'm going Chad BB. I really like the way he runs routes wow. and, and uh, the way that he uh, he can contribute. Um, I, I just like his polish. I think there's just something to that kid. Yeah, and I've heard good things, and I was going to bring him up if you didn't. Truthfully, I didn't realize Treadwell did run down on punts. Good for him. Um, but it also wouldn't shock me if, I know this is really looking ahead, that the Vikings draft a receiver next year higher than people think. Oh yeah, I could definitely see that. I mean, yeah. they currently they really have two two receivers and some guys. They have right. Diggs and Dylan and like some whoever's and and it's. I mean, there's eight people that all could theoretically. I mean, there are people even talking about Jeff Baddett, who's an undrafted free agent last year. He was uh, Baker Mayfield's favorite target in his senior season at Oklahoma, and he ran. He's in the forty yard dash tournament. Um, he's he ran like a four two two or something at the combine. And people are even talking about him as like a guy that was an, un- an undrafted free agent from the practice squad signed a futures contract has a chance at the wide receiver three position. So it is wide open and that is fun for training camp purposes and really fun to cover. But it is not a good thing in terms of the way your roster is constructed when you don't have a third wide receiver that would like be guaranteed a roster spot on another team. Yeah. And the tight end position looks strong, which will help, of course. But that is something to be worked out, I'm sure, to be a lot of camp discussion of who's going to get those snaps and bb would be a great story you got to he'd be an easy guy to root for for sure uh folks today's show is also brought to you in part by hotels.com don't hate like your friend's trip book your own with hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere hotels.com be there do that get rewarded all right luke i wanted to talk a little bit about the d too i think the o is more interesting and i think zimmer has a lot of pieces here on defense, of course, and it's always going to be good. But I got to say, I'm a little worried that it's not great still. You know, the depth overall has me a little concerned. It's kind of a top-heavy team. Um, And where do you think Everson Griffin is right now in his career? So Everson Griffin's such a weird case because his year last year was very clearly affected by an off-field issue. Um, and actually, off-field issue is probably the wrong term. He had mm-hmm. a, a mental health breakdown, and he had to take time away to get his to get himself right. He did so with full support of the team, and actually, the team went above and beyond 
and deserves to be commended for the way that they handled that situation. They provided him a lot of resources and help and support so that he could make it back on the field before the season's end. But it was clearly just he, he just wasn't the same as he usually is. All reports are saying that ah, it's same old Everson. He's the guy that we've all known for so many years. Um, but maybe still as well. Um, Stephen Weatherly is nipping at his heels. Uh, I don't think that that is a formal position battle at the moment, but stranger things have certainly happened. Um, personally, I think that last year was a one-off and unless mental health issues can like continue to persist, which is not outside of the realm of possibility. Um, I, I think he'll be back to, you know, the Emerson Griffin that we, we know, uh, Griffin wins. I mean, he has plenty of athleticism, but at this point in his career, he wins with a very savvy style of pass rushing. And, and so, you know, the age cliff wouldn't hit him. I mean, it would hit him similarly to how, like, Dwight Freeney played for so long. Right, right, Even right. Even though athleticism was gone, he still had his move and he was very good at it. And I think so long as Everson Griffin can continue to play with that savvy style, um, I, I think he can absolutely be a, a quality starting defensive end. I think he'll get overshadowed by D- Daniel Hunter, who is emerging to total superstar status. Absolutely. I think you also, like, having Steven Weatherly, who is actually, it's rumored that he's in talks for an actual extension, um, and he, he played very well in Griffin's stead last year, uh, and he can now rotate in, and you can make sure that the old guy doesn't get too tired, um, and, and I think that's your kind of majorly, major defensive end rotation with, you know, Steven Weatherly coming in as, as relief, and you can keep the two main guys fresh, but I don't think it's going to change as much as people are potentially speculating because of the down year that Everson Griffin had. Yeah, and I, I still think he's a good player. I think you described that really well, especially now that Hunter's the Batman and Griffin can be the Robin. That's helpful. And you have Weatherly to spell him with snaps. That's a pretty nice threesome. And uh, another guy I want to ask you about is last year's first-round pick, Mike Hughes. What are you expecting out of him in year two? So, unfortunately, his ACL injury is is still yeah. not recovered. He's still got a leg brace at camp. He didn't participate in anything. Uh, the, the beat reporters that are way more dialed into this than I am, uh, they all basically say that it's a question mark if he's back for week one. So we probably will miss all of camp. And if I had to guess, I would say physically unable to perform list. And that means that it's Mackenzie Alexander's time to shine. And if Mackenzie Alexander has a good camp and takes advantage of that, then you might see Mackenzie Alexander just be the starter all year. Uh, he finished out last season after Mike Hughes' injury. He finished out last season, I think, over eight games in a number of, of statistical categories and PFF grades and, and a lot of evidence, a top five slot corner in the NFL. He played out of his skull. And I don't know if that's repeatable for him. Um, I don't know if this, you know, maybe a, fl- a switch fi- finally turned on for him. He had issues earlier in his career, not really buying into the scheme and not really like listening to the coaches. And he seems to kind of have have worked past that. And maybe that means he just is this good now. Or maybe he just played out of his skull for eight games and he won't be able to, you know, reclaim that unbelievable level. I mean, he was rivaling Chris Harris. It was Mm -hmm. unbelievable. And even if he does regress, he might not regress to where he was in, you know, 2016, 2017, where he was struggling a lot more. So that is a really weird position, that slot corner position with Mike Hughes and and Mackenzie Alexander. But right now it's Mackenzie Alexander's opportunity with Mike Hughes on the sideline for who knows how long. Yeah, and he played so well. I mean, he has good tape, obviously. Great tape, like you said. And I thought all along, Alexander's not the fastest, he's not the longest, that the slot might be ideal for him. And maybe he's just taking that and running with it. Um, Last thing I want to touch on with you is the defensive tackle situation. What are your thoughts there? I think we know who Linville Joseph is, and 
He's another one that'll probably fade away slow because he's just really good at one thing. But what about the rest of the group? Yeah, so Joseph is the nose tackle, which means mm-hmm. he comes off, he plays rotation. Like, nose tackles aren't, on, aren't three down players. He'll come off on a lot of third down situations. Um, and after that, it's very, very strange. So mm-hmm. the Vikings signed Shamar Stefan back from the Seattle Seahawks. He spent a year in Seattle, and they signed him back. And they signed him back with, like, a three-year contract with guarantees on it that is the size of a contract that you would expect somebody to, like, compete to start. You know, he's making, I think, only like one and a half million this year, but it's like five million in future years. And there's guarantees on that that kind of like ensure that he's going to see that money. So they really speaks volume. So, yeah. Yeah, that they really think that he's a starting quality player. And he hasn't shown that at any point in his career. He was drafted in I want to say he was 2014 draft uh, seventh round pick. And he's been like a good rotational player. And, and like an excellent rotational player, even he's been very, very good against the run as a three technique, but he's never shown starting like flashes of starting play. No, so like I never viewed him as a starter. Like, like when they signed him, I thought, oh, he's a good rotation guy. Like, wow, he gave him a lot of money. Yeah, it, they gave him a, star, a starting amount of money for a guy that's always been a rotation guy. So that's really interesting. But behind him, there's not really a lot pushing no. him. Uh, there's Jaleel Johnson, who has struggled. As a fourth round pick, there's Jalen Holmes, who was an edge rusher at Ohio State, and he's moved inside. And he's still kind of developing there. Uh, the the really interesting name to watch is Hercules Mataafa. You might remember him from draft season last year. Definitely he an interesting was, name. He, yeah, he, he was <laughs> very, very under. Yeah, super cool name. Uh, he was an undersized defensive tackle to the point where people actually wanted to move him all the way to linebacker. Like forget edge rusher, they wanted him to play like Sam linebacker. Uh, and he fell out of the draft because he played defensive tackle, but he he's like he was like 270. He was just way too small to play defensive tackle. Well, the Vikings actually love this. There's a great article from Arif Hassan at The Athletic that they actually love undersized defensive tackles because of all the quickness. I bet and John Hercules, Randall's uh, name comes up from time to time, too. Yeah, he has insane, <laughs> insane quickness. Yeah. Um, so they that is picked him up interesting. Drafted I mean... free agency, and he tore his ACL right away in minicamp last year, so we never got to see anything from him. But reports out of OTAs and minicamp this year that he's like really flashing and there might be something there akin to the the Holton Hill uh, renaissance of last year as an undrafted free agent coming in, coming on strong and actually playing really well. So that, that might be a name to watch. It could be a whole bunch of smoke, um, but likely you're seeing Shamar Stefan come in and play and we'll see what level he plays at. Luke, this, this was great. I mean, one of the reasons I love bringing people from across the network on are you probably gave my listeners five or six names that maybe they heard but didn't know much about or their details or what they might turn into. This was really good stuff. I greatly appreciate it. We have to get together again. And please tell everyone where they can find you besides the the Locked on Vikings podcast, which, of course, they should be checking out. Yes, go check out the podcast. Uh, You can find my Twitter at LukeBronNFL, and the show is at Locked on Vikings on Twitter. Uh, you can always interact with me there. You can find some of my old stuff I used to write for a website called Purple PTSD. Uh, that was where I did a lot of my training camp stuff last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can find a lot of uh, backstory stuff there, which is what I'm doing on the show right now. I'm doing a series uh, where I go over every single player on the 90 man and talk about their backstories and where they came from and, and their recruiting process and where they grew up. Uh, a little bit less about, you know, how good are they and, and are they going to be good enough and what's their season projection and a little bit more about 
where did what did they go through to get here, and and what do they stand to gain and lose in the preseason? So even if you're not a Vikings fan and you just like some storytelling, there are some unbelievable stories all the way back. If you look at any of the episodes, uh, you know any any of your favorite players from maybe your your alma mater or whatever college team or, or former players of your favorite team, uh, go check it out and listen to some stories. Absolutely, folks. That's a wrap. Uh, I will be back tomorrow with another guest that's been on lately. I'm going to keep that one hidden for you for a little while, but you're going to like it. And that is a wrap over and out.